0: I'm in Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we'll talk about the powers of a president. Will President-elect Donald Trump have the power to overturn Supreme Court decisions or end the Affordable Care Act? We'll talk about what an executive order is and the process of making decisions. If you have any questions or comments about the powers of a president or Congress, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're going to be talking about the powers of a president. We'll get into the powers of Congress Will President-elect Donald Trump have the power to overturn Supreme Court decisions or end the Affordable Care Act? We'll talk about some other promises uh, that were made uh, during his campaign run. and We'll talk about the possibility of those things being able to come into fruition, if you will. We'll uh, talk about what an executive order is and also a veto. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. If you have any questions about the power of a president or Congress, eight seven seven six seven two 7464, or email legalterms at org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you?
2: Doing great, Sharita. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, before we get started, I want to remind people that even though we're talking about uh, an election that has already taken place, there are elections going on in Mississippi today, uh, runoff elections. And mm-hmm. uh, for example, up here in the Northern District, uh, we are uh, having a runoff uh, to see who who will uh, represent our district in the uh, Mississippi Supreme Court. So okay. I want to remind people to vote. Uh, I voted this morning. There were no lines, as you might expect. It's going to be light turnout, but still important decisions taking place uh, in our state today.
0: Yeah, that, that's important to note. You know, we've we've been so indulged, uh, engulfed in the, the presidential election that uh, it seems like the local elections have just kind of been put on the back burner and haven't been given as much publicity and attention. So I uh, appreciate you for uh, breaking that up. Now, um, just a a little piece of news, Professor Gershon, I I saw that there was a tweet um, posted. By Mr. Trump uh, it says nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or year in jail. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, um, because many are arguing, hey, this is free speech. You can burn the American flag if you want to. Uh, but just some clarity on that. First of all, um, you know, what are the, the, the legalities of burning the American flag, if any? And um, these potential consequences proposed by uh, Donald Trump.
2: Well, it's a great question, Sherita, and I I saw that tweet. And uh, actually, you know, that is something that is a right that we have under uh, the First Amendment of the Constitution to express ourselves, including uh, doing things that maybe other people disagree with, even other people find offensive, and and burning a flag would be one of those. Uh, You know, uh, we talked about Colin Kaepernick uh, a few weeks ago, not standing for the national anthem. Those are our freedoms of expression. We don't want to live in a country where we start to decide – that certain types of speech are uh, not allowed uh, by private citizens, and uh, you know, and and that would that would change uh, the way we look at freedom of expression.
0: Yeah, um, and this is so interesting to me seeing this. A new wave of social media communication. So something like this being posted by uh, the president elect is do you think just a, a precursor to what our future is going to look like with politicians and social media, um, you know, discussing issues like this on a platform like that?
2: I do. You know, I think social media is clearly here to stay. Uh, we just uh, added a Snapchat account at the law school. And when I remember when my, my teenage daughters first started using Snapchat, my, my question was, well, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. But now, you know, it's, it's certainly caught on. And, uh, and I think, you know, certainly uh, tweets are something that, that politicians have been using effectively for, for quite some time. It's a great way to to reach a broad audience. Um, we do want our elected officials to, to realize that, that, you know, they have responsibilities. They have important jobs to do. And they they really need to think about their tweets. You know, we talk about uh, sometimes writing a tweet uh, but not sending it out, saying, you know, get, getting it off your chest but not sending it out. Because once it's out there, it's out there for everyone to see. And, uh, and you know, we need, for, we need for our elected officials to be adults.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a a good premise there. Think before you tweet or post anything on social media because you can delete it, but it is forever going to be out there. I mean, people screenshot things very quickly. They retweet things very quickly. And uh, it's very interesting to even see celebrities uh, offering official apologies on Twitter. It's just so interesting. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about the the powers of a president of Congress, uh, you know, how decisions are made if they can be overturned. So, Dean Gershon, uh, let's, first of all, just get like a uh, a lesson about the, the structure of Congress. Um, who makes the decisions when it comes to the law? Uh, who makes the law? Who do the laws have to be passed through before they become law?
2: Well, uh, if that starts with the Constitution of the United States. Article 1 of the Constitution states that all legislative powers herein are granted, shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, and that's, Consists of a Senate and the House of Representatives, and so for something to become law at the federal level, uh, legislation to become law at the federal level, uh, it is something that must be passed by both houses, both the Senate and the House of Representatives. Uh, the Senate is a smaller body, uh, and senators are elected for six years. Representatives are elected every two years, and so uh, you know that it's a it's a long process when we talk start talking about uh, passing laws. Uh, And you need a half of the 435, more than half of the 435 uh, members of the House of Representatives, and you need uh, more than half of uh, the Senate, which has 100 people, to to pass a law. And then the president has to sign that law uh, into legislation, typically. And so, you know, it is a – we have lots of eyes on, on legislation before it actually passes.
0: Uh, So let's talk about, um, you know, some some promises that were made by President-elect Donald Trump during his campaign. Um, Some people feel that, okay, well, he's already going back on some of the things that he promised. Uh, But if we can just for a second get into things like does the president have the power to overturn Supreme Court decisions. I mean, when you hear the word Supreme, you think this is the Supreme decision. But um, the the president, does he have the the power to overturn those things with maybe an executive order?
2: Uh, No. The short answer is no, he doesn't. Um, I mean, the president does have the ability to issue executive orders, and we can talk a little bit more about that uh, as we go through the show. But, uh, you know, the Supreme Court is a a co-equal body uh, to the Congress and also to the executive branch, which is the President, and uh, that the, for example the uh, the people that he appoints to be uh, the Secretary of Education, etc are all part of the executive branch and and we have checks and balances in our system so no the, the, the bottom line is the president can't simply override a Supreme Court decision.
0: Now what about judges uh, Supreme Court judges judges who have made like landmark decisions? Uh, can the president appoint judges with the purpose of reversing previous cases?
2: Uh, I guess the, the fairest answer is yes, the president can, and, and presidents have looked at um, you know, who they appoint uh, based on uh, politics and, and how they think a judge might decide a particular case. Now, judges are ethically limited in, in you know, making statements about how they will rule Uh, And, in fact, someone uh, who is a judge should not be talking about how they might decide a particular case. That's actually – there's a judicial code of ethics that that would limit that because we want judges to be fair and impartial. We don't want them to be predisposed to to making decisions until they hear the facts or until they hear the case. And the truth is, you know, when you appoint a judge, it's not like the judge goes on the court and says, okay, now now we're going to overturn previous cases. Uh, the case actually has to come to court. You have to have, have a case in controversy, and so uh, it's not like uh, even if we, uh, for example, if there was there were judges appointed who might uh, want to overturn uh, uh, same-sex marriage, it's not like uh, those judges would get on the bench and say, "Okay, now same-sex marriage is again, uh, our, our states can make it illegal." Uh, there'd actually have to be a case in controversy that would go through the court system and make it all the way up to the Supreme Court. So it takes time. Uh, One uh, good example of that is Plessy versus Ferguson back in the late 1890s held that uh, separate but equal uh, for transportation uh, and other purposes was okay and that you could separate the races as long as they were uh, treated equally. Uh, It took a long time for that decision to be reversed uh, in the 1950s when we had Brown versus Board of Education. So, you know, even though um, a lot of people felt that Plessy at the time was wrong. Uh, it, uh, it took a long time and a, and a lot of processes before that case got back in front of the Supreme Court to be overturned in Brown versus Board.
0: All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the powers of a president, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. Uh, what do you think about broken campaign promises? You can give us a call 877-672-7464, or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, in addition, if you have any comments on the uh, first thing we discussed, uh, the tweet by Donald Trump. Nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. You agree with that? 877-MPB-RING is the number. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're talking about the powers of a president, executive orders. Uh, Will president-elect Donald Trump have the power to overturn Supreme Court decisions? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments. Uh, If you have any thoughts about uh, Donald Trump's recent tweet, nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or... A year in jail. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any thoughts about that or politicians campaign promises in general eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four is the number or send an email to legalterms at org. Alright, Mary Ann Braxton wants to join the conversation, has a comment about uh, campaign promises. Good morning, Mary. What do you have for us? Well,
3: I've
4: uh, been interested in uh, uh Campaigns ever since uh, Dewey ran against uh, Truman. Now, that's a long time back. Some of you don't even remember that, I'm sure. But if they had kept all the promises that have been made in that generation, that, that length of uh, time, I think we would have a really muddled up situation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Mary. Uh, Dean Gerson, do you have any uh, thoughts on, on Mary's comments?
2: Well, thank you, Mary. Yeah, I, I think uh, I guess what really, if I if I'm following Mary correctly, I think you know if we, if she's been through a lot of presidents, as have I, and uh, you know typically they do make promises that uh, either they can't keep or uh, maybe they never intended to keep, and that's not that that unusual. That we you know somewhat expect that during elections there might be, even if they're not outright lies, there's certainly uh, exaggerations about what what they can and can't do. Uh, So, you know, there's no legal uh, remedy for that um, at all. We just have to use common sense as voters and also check behind the facts.
0: All right, so there is no punishment for broken campaign promises. You just, uh, I don't know, maybe lose the faith uh, of the people, uh, their confidence, you know?
2: I think that's true. You know, if you look at, uh, I I can remember, for example, um, George Bush, the, the first George Bush, Uh, made the promise that, uh, he said, read my lips, no new taxes. Well, you know, circumstances changed, and he did have to uh, have a tax increase. And people were upset by that, and actually uh, he was not reelected. So I think the consequence for uh, anyone who's an elected official, if they they break enough promises – Uh, The people who voted for them because of the promises they made will probably not reelect them the next time. And that's that is what we have, the power we have as voters. Uh, One problem, of course, is only about 45 percent of our uh, people who are who are qualified to vote actually voted in this last election. So not enough of us are exercising our, our our right to vote. And I really think it's our responsibility as well.
0: All right. We're going to go back to the phones. Uh, earlier, we talked about a recent tweet, uh, t- tweet, not a tweet a recent tweet uh, posted by President-elect Donald Trump. Nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. want to get your thoughts on that as well. And we have Cindy in Vicksburg who wants to comment on that. Good morning, Cindy. What do you have for us?
5: Yes, um, I, I agree. I think that anybody that burns our flag should get more than a year.
0: <laughs> okay.
5: Because I really, I just don't understand. Um, I mean, that's what gives us our freedom, and that should be, you know, it should be a penalty for that. I do agree.
0: All right, uh, strong, strong thoughts there. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank um, you. Uh-huh. Uh Professor Gershon, what, what do you think about about that? Um, a recommendation like that, like like jail time, or you know, strong punishment like that for burning the flag, which some people just see as a as a materialistic item, and some people don't feel like uh they're all represented by the flag, so it doesn't have the same meaning to everyone. so that would be kind of a, a difficult thing to uh, legislate, don't you think?
2: I do, and i you know and and Cindy and I can disagree on this, and that is the beauty of our country is we can do so respect respectfully, uh, and that is our right as citizens, you know, when we start to say. That people don't have a right to express themselves in ways that uh, are offensive to us, then you know who makes that decision about what's what's offensive and what's not, you know. And, and for me personally, this is my own opinion, not the opinions of MPB. Uh, I want to make that clear. Um, it, I think you know that people are more important than symbols. Always, uh, you know, when we start to elevate symbols to be more important than than personal rights, individual rights, I think that that's a mistake. Uh, and uh, and so the flag, while I, uh, you know, I honor the flag. My father fought for this country. You know, I I think the flag means a lot. One of the things it means is the freedom to burn it even, Mm. because that's how strong our freedoms are and that they're important freedoms. Uh, And, and, you know, this country is unique in that way.
0: All right. We are going to go next to uh, Barbara in Vicksburg, who has a question about the uh, flag burning. Uh, Good morning, uh, Barbara. Maybe it's Barbia. Hello, you're on the air. Help, help me out with the name. <laughs> Barbia. <laughs> Barbia, okay. Thank you for calling. But you're your-
3: not the only one who pronounces it Barbia. Um, I agree with Cindy, and uh, we do have freedoms, and I'm thankful we do, and I do not want to lose them. But one person's freedom stops. When another person's freedom begins, and I think we have forgotten that we kind of um, disregard another person's freedom if if it does not if it contradicts our freedom, and I I just think we should start being less selfish in that. And another thing. Um, I was taught all my life that there were certain regulations, <clears throat> excuse my voice, there were certain regulations about the American flag. That you fold it a certain way, you respect it by play, uh, saluting it, you uh, put it up at a certain time, you put it down at a certain time. And, and um, I always thought that one of those regulations was that you don't burn it, that you don't res- disrespect it. And that's all
0: I have to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, great thoughts. Thank you, thank you so much for your call. We uh, appreciate it. Uh, Professor Gershon, any follow-up thoughts?
2: Well, I think that uh, good thoughts, and especially, you know, when we're talking about certainly government entities, or official entities like schools, uh, yes, those regulations do apply to them. But to an individual who goes out and buys an American flag, that's their property at that point. And so the regulation would be different uh, for that person and how they, they treat the flag. And, you know, it's a statement. Uh, and not all the statements people make uh, make us comfortable. I know, you know, I, I remember when uh, Nazi, the Nazi party in America wanted to have a parade, Uh, in Skokie, Illinois. And, uh, you know, that while that offends me personally, it offends me that we even have Nazis in this country. They do have a right to be here. They do have a right to to express themselves. And I will defend that right, even though I totally disagree with their positions. So I think, you know, that's that's all we're talking about is I I may disagree with someone who burns the flag, but they have a right to do it.
0: All right. uh, Thank you for your call. Uh, we are going to go next to Andrew, who's in Natchez, with a question about uh, term limits. Uh, good morning, Andrew. What do you have for us? Hi, Andrew. You're on the air.
6: Hi. Um, I had a question about the politicians keeping promises. Okay. Um, I got into the show later. I missed the first part. I don't know if he talked about it, but can are, are term limits, are they can they be held up by the constitution and cuz that would solve a lot of their promise issues cuz then they you know wouldn't have a reason to do what they do just to get elected so i'll hang up and listen thank you
0: all right andrew thank you so much
2: well andrew that's a good question and there are people who have uh you know tried to uh establish term limits that would be something that congress would have to do uh to set term limits of course you know there are people in congress who uh for their own personal reasons don't want to have term limits so we'd ask them to impose them on themselves essentially uh we could amend the constitution there are processes for doing that that would establish term limits right now the only term limits we have are that you know the president can only serve two terms uh that happened after franklin roosevelt you remember he served for four terms there were no term limits at that point Uh, So that's something that, you know, if if the political will is there and the people wanted to have term limits, we could.
0: All right. um, And so we're going to get into some of the campaign promises that were made by uh, President-elect Donald Trump and just talk about the possibility of these things happening, some of the things that he talked about uh, before we get back to the phone. So one thing that was very popular, it was just a, a thread all throughout his presidential campaign, was build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. Um, so, Professor Gershon, your thoughts on that, what, what would have to happen for this wall to be built and especially to make Mexico pay for it, because some of their uh, government officials have, have vehemently disagreed and expressed their, uh, you know, uh, expressed their, their disagreement with this, this whole idea. So your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think uh, one is the first question, could we build a wall? And I think, yes, we, we could. It would be an expensive proposition. Uh, one of the things that uh, the president-elect has talked about is, is, you know, fixing the infrastructure in the country. Uh, he even said he would not fund the space program unless until we fix all the potholes and things like that. So it seems like, you know, maybe that money, uh, instead of going to the wall, should, should be uh, used to deal with those infrastructure issues. All right. But then he says that Mexico will pay for the wall. I, you know, I just don't know how you make another country uh, do that. Um, his, his argument would be that we would impound all uh, remittance payments taken from wages of illegal immigrants, cut foreign aid, institute tariffs, cancel visas for Mexican business leaders and diplomats, and increase fees for visas. You know, that's, that's all uh, on, a, on a country that is an ally of the United States. So I think, you know, you got to – we need to think about those relationships with Mexico as being important to us. Uh, they are an important ally, and, you know, yes, we could – Essentially, uh, you know, blackmail them into uh, paying for a wall, but I'm not sure that uh, ultimately will be successful either.
0: All right, uh, we need to take a quick break when we get back. We have uh, lots of calls to get to, we're going to Robert. Lenny and Linda if you guys can hold on just for a second we'll get to you uh, right after the break this morning we're talking about the powers of a president Uh, what kinds of promises can they actually uh, enforce into the law we're talking about some of the promises that Donald Trump made during his presidential campaign and the likelihood that those things will be put into law you can give us a call at 877 MPB ring if you have any questions or comments about the power of a president or Congress 877 MPB ring is the number that's 877 877 672-7464. Uh, also we were talking about a tweet by Donald Trump about people being punished, needing to be punished for burning the flag. You can give us your thoughts about that as well. 877 MPB Ring or email legalterms at legalterms@mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're talking about the powers of a president, campaign promises, and whether or not they can be enforced uh, into law once President-elect Donald Trump gets into office. If you have any questions about the power of a president, the Supreme Court, or Congress, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. We have some calls to get to. We go first to Robert in Meridian. Uh, good morning, Robert. What do you have for us?
7: Uh, Hello. Good morning. This is uh, Robert from Meridian. Hey. Um, During Lyndon Johnson's administration, his efforts on behalf of civil rights and so on really demonstrated just how powerful a president could be, even with strong opposition. President-elect Trump made a a big uh, fuss over the coal industry. And though his uh, primarily focusing on Uh, being, I'm in support, I want you coal miners to have jobs, so on and so forth. Uh, Professor Gerson, would President-elect Trump have the authority, like a Lyndon Johnson, to do something about the safety measures in coal mines? You know, those dead canaries are not laying there on the bottoms of those cages because they went on a hunger strike. For all of the the inspectors and the bad reports and the failure on the part of some of these multimillionaire mine owners and companies, could he really make an effort to be the champion of the coal miners by, if not forcing, at least make such a fuss over the safety measures in those mines that might cut into that black lung and some of those uh, cave-ins?
2: Well, that's a, Robert that's a great question. appreciate your call. Uh you know the the president does have the ability to issue executive orders. Uh more likely in this case this would be one of the departments uh in, in, uh, uh you know uh, you know that he would uh, would be under the executive branch uh and uh you know we do have um a department that oversees uh you know the safety of labor and and working conditions. And so, you know, I think it would be, uh, you know, on them to uh, try to impose legislation or I should say um, regulations that would uh, affect safety for minors. It's an, it's an important thought. I mean, we do want to make sure that people have uh, safe working conditions. Uh, we have OSHA, uh, which uh, tries to make sure that there are uh, safe conditions for workers. And so, you know, I, th- I think certainly that would be something the executive branch could, could do You know, there are limits, though, on the president acting alone. And, uh, for example, one thing, you know, one of the first uh, times the Supreme Court uh, imposed a limit on the president acting alone was when Harry Truman uh, ordered the government to take control of steel mills, mills, excuse me, to continue production during a worker strike uh, during the Korean War. And the Supreme Court said that's unconstitutional because that did not either stem from an act of Congress or from the Constitution itself. So there are limits on Presidential authority, but certainly um, organizations, or I should say, uh, departments like OSHA, uh, do have some authority to regulate uh, worker safety. Thank you.
0: All right, Robert, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, we are going next. Uh, well, first off, uh, Professor Gershon wanted to ask um, as far as executive orders are concerned. Uh, have any presidents like been in the lead, uh, made the most executive orders um, Is uh, President Obama, one who's made more than presidents have in the past?
2: Well, you know, the, the leading person in terms of executive orders was Franklin Roosevelt,
0: hmm.
2: uh, some three thousand five hundred and twenty two executive orders. Wow. And uh, and they all uh, they all stood, um, you know, his, uh, uh, one of his most controversial executive orders was he actually uh, issued an order in 1942 that led to Japanese Americans being interned in uh, camps during World War II. And I think that was a real uh, dark time in our history as a country. And I hope we don't return to those days by taking certain uh, U.S. citizens and and saying we're going to, in essence, uh, intern them, put them in concentration camps. But that was an executive order of uh, Franklin Roosevelt that was uh, actually upheld by the Supreme Court. So presidents do have uh, really uh, strong authority. Uh, President John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, as Robert alluded to, uh, used executive orders in the 1960s to bar racial discrimination in federal housing, hiring, and contracting, and those were upheld. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there is there is definitely authority by the executive uh, but, again, limited by um, by the power of Congress and also the Supreme Court.
0: All right, we're going to go back to the phones. Uh, Linda is in Port Gibson with a comment about the flag burning. Good morning, Linda. What do you have for us? Hi, Linda. You're on the air.
4: Hi. Uh, I have two statements to make. Uh, my first statement is that uh, – uh, that the politicians, or well, like like Trump, uh, he can make whatever uh, decisions, not decisions he want, like uh, building a wall. But he he can suggest it, but uh, he has to have uh, the full support of Congress and and the Senate in order to do that. And my next statement is that. Uh, Uh, I I would not uh, burn the flag. I think it is somewhat offensive to burn the flag because a lot of people died under that, uh, supporting and supported that flag. If there is no jail, then certainly there should be a penalty.
0: All right, Linda, thank you so much for your call. Professor Gershon, any follow-up thoughts?
2: Well, and I, I uh, first on Linda's uh, first thought, yes, we do have checks and balances in our system. And that's important because we don't want to have a dictatorship. Uh, other countries do where uh, one person has complete authority. We divide our power. I think the people who uh, formed our Constitution understood that. They had uh, moved away from a monarchy where one person had all all the power to make decisions. Uh, you know, we... Um, we have a Supreme Court that is a check against the power of Congress and against the executive branch. We have a president who executes the laws of the country. We have a legislative branch that um, uh, enacts the laws. So, uh, you know, there's no one one person or one body that has uh, complete power in our country, and that's a good thing. Now, in terms of the flag, um, you know, again, we, we I certainly would am offended by people who burn the flag as well. Uh, but that 's their right, and I think that 's one thing that we have to, we have to understand is that people have the right to express things that offend us. I look on the comments section uh, of uh, a, a lot of news sites, a lot of uh, other sites, and I am completely offended by by what some people say. Uh, you know people who support for example I mentioned nazis we we fought a war against a country uh, that that was uh, supported by Nazism, and and really uh, was a, you know, was that was their philosophy. Uh, And my father was in that war. And so, uh, you know, to me, the fact that there are still Nazis in this country, well, that is offensive, but that's also their right. We have freedom of expression uh, in this country. And and I I, I think we would be uh, making a mistake to criminalize, uh, you know, expression that offends us.
0: All right, uh, we go next to Lenny, who's in Demopolis, with a comment. Good morning, Lenny. What do you have for us? Hello, Lenny. You're on the air.
5: Uh, yes, um, um, Donald Trump needs to read our Constitution. There's probably some other politicians that also need to read it. They keep keep talking about wanting to defend the Constitution, but they don't even know what's in it. Free speech as a is a right that is almost absolute. Of course, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But there's two, two things that I always try to live by. There's one quote that's often said to be the, uh, said by Voltaire, that um, I may not believe what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. I mm-hmm. may not believe in something someone does, but I, I will lay down my life to defend your right to do that. Um, Flag-burning may offend someone, but you don't know that tomorrow something that that person does is going to offend someone or that person. So you have to watch what you say that you want, what you believe in, things that offend you to be laws. But you don't know when the things that you say are going to offend people. And there's also another quote um, that freedom is a double edged sword. It is. It's a, it's a tough thing to believe in because you have to be willing to defend what everyone says. If you want your freedoms, you have to stand up for other people's freedoms. And that that was my comment.
0: All right. Great comments, Lenny. Thank you so much. Uh, Professor Gershon, any thoughts?
2: Well, I think uh, she said it much more articulately than I have this morning. I, I think exactly right. I mean, I think you know that's what our country is based on is the free marketplace of ideas and uh, by having a lot of different ideas expressed, even some that offend us, is how we can come to maybe better decisions, you know. And so um, that is why the First Amendment is almost an absolute right to free speech. And and we should all defend that. It's an important freedom uh, in this country.
0: All right. Uh, we go next to Pat, who's in Olive Branch. Good morning, Pat. What do you have for us? Hey, Pat, you're on the air.
3: Hi, I have a couple questions, and what a great show this morning, Sherita. Thank you very much. Thank you. I heard the executive director of the ACLU on NPR saying that they're going to watch Donald Trump's actions and will take him to court for his actions. Are they able to do that? And second, uh, are you able to give a professional opinion of the ACLU?
0: All right, thank you for those uh, questions, Pat.
2: Well, Pat, I appreciate those questions. Yes, the ACLU does have the right. And, and in fact, uh, you know, if, if what that would have to happen is someone would have to be harmed by the statements made by the president or by actions taken by the president or by the government. So, for example, if someone, uh, if there was legislation enacted that said flag burning uh, is punishable by crime, and someone then burned a flag, and they were uh, arrested and and uh, taken to court. Then the ACLU could um, uh, take up the constitutionality of that law, so we need to have someone harmed by the law in order to to bring a case, uh, and so that that they would be an organization that would do so. Um, this is my opinion this is just my opinion. I am a member of the ACLU the ACLU Uh, in my opinion, defends the rights of all Americans uh, uh, against uh, the government. But that's just my opinion. Uh, You know, they, um, again, they defended the rights of Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois, because they so believe in free speech. Uh, And I disagreed uh, with, you know, that decision by the ACLU in some ways. But I certainly understand why they, they undertook that that, uh, that cause, they they really do believe in the civil liberties, civil liberties of all Americans.
0: All right, Pat, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about some of uh, the campaign promises President-elect Donald Trump made when he was running for president and what's the likelihood that those things could become law. Uh, we'll talk about this temporary ban for Muslims uh, that was suggested at some point. Also, if you have any thoughts on the burning of the flag, do you think that should warrant some type of punishment of citizens who uh, use their free speech rights to burn it? Give us a call at 877 877- MPB ring. If you have any questions about the powers of a president, campaign promises, whether they are broken or not, how do you feel about that? 877 672 7464 is the number. We do have all our lines open currently. You can also send an email to legalterms at MPB This is Think Radio. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPV Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brick, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we've been talking about the powers of a president, uh, the possibility uh, that some of the campaign promises President-elect Donald Trump made will actually become law. So, Professor Gershon, let's talk a little bit about uh, the point when Donald Trump suggested that uh, there should be a temporary ban on Muslims from entering the United States. This was around the time of the San Bernardino attack. And uh, he was quoted saying a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representative can figure out what's going on. And since then, he's said things like it was just a suggestion and things would need to be worked out. But uh, what are your thoughts on on that? Is this something that could happen if he became president? Could he issue a temporary ban on Muslims?
2: Well, Sherita, I think that would be a tough thing to do because first of all how do we know what someone's religious convictions are uh as soon as you start banning people based on religious convictions you know i think again we lose great freedom in this country uh that uh you know is something that would be very difficult to do we have had executive orders as i said that interred uh japanese americans during world war 2 um i think uh, people today think of that as a really horrible decision uh, and one that we hope we would not go back to. But, um, you know, it, in terms of just banning people of a particular faith, I think that would be really impossible to do, uh, given, uh, the freedoms of this country. We'd have to have a reason if someone was a, a criminal, certainly we could, we could ban, uh, criminals coming in from, you know, from other countries. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, just to, to make a blanket ban like that would be very difficult.
0: Um, okay, and something else that was um, it got a lot of attention was the full repeal of Obamacare and replace it with a market-based alternative. Um, so is that possible, and that's something that has, has been a really divisive issue?
2: It's certainly possible, and that would not be uh, something the president would do, but it would be something Congress would do. It was actually Congress that uh, passed the Affordable Care Act to begin with, uh, and the president signed it. Back then, there was a uh, you know majority, a Democratic majority in Congress. But uh, now, with a Repub- Republican majority in Congress and a Republican president, it is certainly possible to repeal the Import- Affordable Care Act. They would uh, simply enact legislation doing that, and the president would sign that legislation. Uh, the Congress tried to do that um, in recent times, uh, but the president vetoed it. So the president can veto a law and that's president Obama did veto uh, laws passed by uh, the Republican Congress. Now with a Republican president it is certainly possible. The affordable care act could be uh, overturned. Uh, One concern would be people who previously uh, weren't covered and now are covered by the affordable care act. There'd be about 20 million Americans uh, who could be affected very negatively uh, by a repeal of the Affordable Care Act. So I hope that Congress at least moves thoughtfully and thinks about you know what they would replace uh, that coverage with.
0: All right, we're going to try to get these last few calls in before the show ends. We are going first to Rodney, who's in Tupelo, has a comment about the flag burning. Good morning, Rodney. You're on the air. Yes. Uh,
6: well, I was just going to say, as far as the, our, our Obamacare, I think it should be reappe- reappealed because, the average person, his uh, deductibles and out-of-pocket expenses are going through the roof, and the little guy that's trying to be an independent and have his own insurance, he can't afford it. So I, I just don't see us continuing with that. It's, it's, and, and then they're saying it's going up. As far as building a wall, yes, we should build a wall. We shouldn't allow people in this country unless they come here legal. And, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. Okay. And Bernie? If you burn a flag in this country, there should be a penalty for it. All if right. If you don't want to be in this country, you can pack up and leave. Only an American should be here. If you don't want to be here, the greatest nation in the world, go somewhere else.
0: All right, Rodney, thank you for your comments. We appreciate them. And uh, we go next to Elliot, who's in Hattiesburg, who also has a comment about the flag burning. Good morning, Elliot. What do you have for us? Hey, Elliot, you're on the air. Hi oh, yes, thank you too. Um,
6: regarding flag burning of course i I don't agree with it at all. the expression of it, however, I do support someone's right to burn a flag if they want to right it's not up to me to judge whether what, what's uh, someone someone's expression should be, and I think when we get into the role of legislating, what should be patriotic, what is not we're descending into the road of uh, fascism. And so that's a very scary thought indeed. And yeah, I I think uh, you should have the right to express yourself in support of the country or in dissent, however you want to do it. I may not agree with you, but you should have that right. And uh, those countries that restricted the right, they haven't ended up too well. And one of them was Nazi Germany. And I do not want to be like that. And my grandfather fought in that war And so many people did and risked their lives to not support a system like that. I don't want in this country either. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you so much for your call, uh, Elliot. And our final call goes to, oh, maybe I I should have my glasses on. Uh, The caller is in Memphis. I apologize. I cannot call your name because I can't see the screen. uh, What's your question for us? Caller in Memphis, uh, looks like Sear.
8: Yeah, okay, you got me.
0: Yeah, what's your name?
8: Uh, It's actually pronounced Sear, but... uh, Oh,
0: I got it, okay. Good morning to you.
8: Let's just say in the South, I've learned to answer to Sir for the last 16 years.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right, what's your question?
8: My question is, is it a law? Is it a law or a rule that a president cannot profit from the presidency? If so, is Donald Trump required to divest of all of his holdings in other countries or in this country uh, before he assumes the presidency? That's question number one. Question number two, under what circumstances can the Electoral College reject a candidate or a president-elect? Well, he's not president-elect until they confirm that. I'll just uh, hang up and listen to the answer.
0: All right. Very good question, Uh We have about a minute and some change to answer both of those. Uh, so what are your thoughts, Professor Gershon?
2: Well, I think, you know, certainly conflicts of interest. This may be the first time we've had a, a, a president in this situation where he had such broad uh, business interest all over, the, all over the country and all over the world. And so I think this is going to create a, a test for our political system, really. We don't really have an answer to that question yet uh certainly though we want our president to act independently and what's in the do what's in the best interest of the country and not just in the best interest of his own personal holdings his own personal businesses and so for example he has interest in india uh you know it, would he give concessions to the uh, government of india in order to get uh, certain breaks uh to build his hotels you know that would be something that would be of concern i think to a lot of people because that's not uh and how we want the president to to act so we're going to have to just see how this all plays out um, and his second question was uh
0: sorry, was about the search- electoral college uh rejecting a candidate
2: i think that's unlikely you know the uh, the elect there are there have been uh, individual electors who have not uh voted according to their state's uh, uh you know um, vote uh, but that's on un- that's unusual and i do think in this case it would be unlikely that the electors would not cast their votes according to uh, the the individual the votes of each state, uh, and so I, I you know that could happen, but it's not likely.
0: All right, uh, Sierra, thank you so much for your call. That's going to wrap us up this morning on in legal terms. If you did not get to call, you can still send us an email to at legalterms@mpbonline.org. Uh, thanks to Jonas Adams for being our board operator this morning, and our call screener was Sam Wells. Uh, nope. Kevin Farrell. All right, uh, that's going to wrap us up. Dean Gerson, thank you so much for being on today and uh, sharing your expertise and thanks for everybody who called in today. Uh, Coming up next, Relatively Speaking, uh, part of the Southern Remedy series featuring Dr. Susan Butcher, so stay tuned, It's coming up next. This is MPB Think Radio.